1: Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
2: Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me,
1: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your
3: podcast. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David.
4: Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through.
3: In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped
0: traffic. They were doing a die-in. Is a
4: right! is a right! And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
3: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. So, I've been kicking around the idea of doing a Skybridge episode for a while. Uh, These have always captivated me whenever I've looked at cityscapes, both real cityscapes and cities that I've visited or lived in, uh, but also just imagined cities, fictional cities, uh, futuristic cities that one encounters in various films. Uh, These are, of course, we're talking about sky bridges or sky uh, walks or, you know, there are various terms that one might uh, use for these. We're talking generally about enclosed bridges of metal and glass or stone or other materials that connect artificial heights to artificial heights. And um, I don't know about about you, Joe. If, if you, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Uh, if, see if you share my uh, uh, my interest in sky bridges. If you ever like, gaze up at a sky bridge in a city and just try and imagine what it would be like to be up there in it, looking out.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are a number of these around the world, but they're rare enough that they still they stick out when you see them. Uh, I guess unless you're. In a, in a city that has a lot of them like Calgary or something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they look like something that's a kind of obvious solution that you would expect to see more of in a city that's full of tall buildings. Yeah, yeah
3: that we can we'll certainly get into the practical sides of the sky bridge, but there's also something there's something attractive about it that I find almost hard to to put into words because on one level, yes, there's a view that is available to one in a sky bridge. And generally speaking, you can often look in two directions at once, and, and that's, that's pretty neat. But by and large, there's not a tremendous amount of difference between being on the 10th t- floor of a building and looking out at the city as opposed to being on a 10th floor sky bridge and looking out at the city. Um, but, but for some reason, if you gave me the choice between the two, the sky bridge, of course, is tremendously more attractive uh, as an opportunity.
5: Well, and in a lot of recent sky bridges, they've started doing the thing where they make the bottom out of transparent materials, you know, some kind oh, of yeah, yeah. You know, tough glass. And of course, you know, the kids like to jump up and down on it. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah, uh,
3: and I, I, think maybe with sky bridges too, a lot of a lot of what makes the sky bridge attractive and interesting, it's also it's actually wrapped up in a deeper understanding of bridges. Like we're essentially taking our already existing excitement for bridges. Uh, even though we see bridges all the time and maybe that, that gets kind of like pushed down in our consciousness. But then it becomes new again when we look at something like a sky bridge. And also sky bridges kind of I think, serve to exaggerate the feats of skyscraper building. Like, for instance, if I'm looking at just a normal skyscraper, it may be really impressive. But if I see a little, uh, I don't know, uh, know, like a gargoyle up there or some sort of like little space where a human being could potentially stand, for some reason, it draws me in more. Maybe like there's an artificial mountain aspect to it. And then seeing the bridge up there kind of does much the same thing. Yeah. So in this uh, look at sky bridges, we're gonna draw uh, on you know, several different sources. One of the main sources that I'm gonna keep coming back to though is a wonderful uh, history overview of sky bridges, titled Sky Bridges, A History and a View to the Near Future by Anthony Wood and Daniel uh, Safarik of the Council of Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat published in 2019 in the International Journal of High Rise Buildings. The authors here define a sky bridge as, quote, a primarily enclosed space linking two or more buildings at height. And they make a point of looking at structures that are, you know, at least six stories in height to set them apart from other mere pedestrian bridges and overpasses. Um, because I guess tr- truly the sky bridge, or at least modern sky bridges, have a different feel altogether, though some of the especially older examples we're going to look at are not necessarily going to be that high in the sky.
5: Yeah especially a lot of the publicly accessible uh, sky bridges or, or lower, whatever you'd call the lower versions of them that aren't like connecting two towers of essentially the same building or buildings that have the same owner. Instead they're, you know, forming a walkway for, for people or pedestrians along a sort of maybe like second story level in the city. Uh, I mentioned the example of Calgary earlier, Calgary Mm -hmm. in uh, Canada, has an extensive network of what have sometimes been called skybridges or skyways. But I think they're mostly on more like the the second story level. And, and they're open to the public. You know, people can walk all around in them.
3: Yeah, when you look at the, the overall history of skybridges, it's a mix of uh, – of passageways for the elite, passageways for everyone and, uh, and, and sometimes you have kind of like double deckers where well one floor is for the, the residents, but the other floor is for tourists, um, uh, so that sort of thing. also you have a mix of some some of these are still uh, very much in operation, some are not accessible currently now i was I was recently in Chicago. And uh, while I was there, this was probably one of the reasons that I, I, I decided, yeah, I think now's the time to, to go ahead and do the the Skybridge episode. It's because I took one of these architectural tours uh, by boat in the city, which which I highly recommend. It's a, it's a city that's, it's, uh, that's, that's uh, steeped in, in, in architecture. And therefore, if you understand the architectural history uh, of the city, at least just a little bit, you have, I, I think, a much better understanding of, of what Chicago is uh, mm-hmm. when, you, uh, when you walk around it, drive around it, et cetera. And uh, uh, one building in particular that you can't help but notice is, of course, uh, the Wrigley Building. Uh, and indeed, uh, you have this beautiful 14th-story sky bridge connecting the two sections. And at first glance, you might think it's made out of aluminum, um, but it's actually made out of Allegheny nickel. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting. But yeah, if you look up pictures of the Wrigley Building, yeah, you'll,
5: you'll definitely see this uh, impressive sky bridge. I was trying to remember if this shows up in The Fugitive,
3: which hmm. uh,
5: is a movie that I, I deeply associate with Chicago architecture, though I'm not quite sure why. I mean, obviously it's in Chicago. I don't know what the architecture connection is.
3: I remember as a kid, I would look at pictures of sky bridges and think, and you know, also watching a lot of action films back in the day, I kept thinking that there had to be like a great action sequence where the hero has to run through a sky bridge and maybe a helicopter is firing at him in the sky bridge or maybe Ooh. there's a fight on top of the sky bridge. And maybe uh, my, my memories faint on this. Maybe these things actually happened in some movie or TV show, but if they didn't, I'm, I'm surprised it, it never happened. It seems like the most logical place, like a weird place for some sort of a fight to take place. Like why, uh, why, why didn't we see this in Highlander? Right. Uh, the answer is uh, insurance problems. They, yeah. That was
5: a scene they wanted to shoot, but they couldn't. Probably
3: now, uh, if anyone, if you're a New Yorker, or certainly if you've even visited New York, you've seen multiple examples of this. There are some great examples of both old school and modern sky bridges. Uh, you can look up lists of these. I know there's, I think there's at least one really picturesque one that's viewable from the the High Line there. Uh, But then, of course, we don't have to go to New York in order to uh, experience a sky bridge, because, Joe, we live in Atlanta, and we have uh, a pretty noteworthy example of sky bridges or skyways as well, and that's Peachtree Center, uh, designed by Atlanta architect John C. Portman, Jr., Portman lived uh, 1924 through 2017, and he's famed for popularizing the atrium as well as uh, just leaving a profound mark on downtown Atlanta. And um, uh, one of the things that he also did is, uh, especially with, uh, again, with Peachtree Center here, is we see this um, almost excessive (laughs) use of, of sky bridges and skyways connecting these buildings to each other. Yeah, if you drive around the the city center streets, you will you will see a number of these. Yeah, they have a very seventies modern uh, look to them. Uh, so they're they're not the the, the classical sky bridges. Uh, they're not these super modern looking ones you'll see in many of the examples today. But uh, this is an example we're going to come back to later because it's actually with Portman's work that we see some of the more pronounced social criticisms of the basic concept of the sky bridge, uh, which are interesting to get into. Now, another local example here in Atlanta, the High Museum of Art has some great sky bridges, Mm -hmm. part of the Renzo Piano-designed addition to the Core Museum in 2005. Joe, I know you've walked through these. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there, there you always get some some brilliant sunlight. There's that all that beautiful white architecture going on. Uh, I, I think I associate them with the sudden feeling of being irradiated. Oh, because you've been in the uh, um, climate because you've been in the yeah the yeah. climate control galleries, and then suddenly yeah here's the sun. Now Wood and Safarik point out that the most common function of the skybridge is, of course, to convey traffic from one building to another without forcing individuals to descend down to the ground level or even below ground level. Uh, potentially exiting and re-entering the building, which, uh, of course, if you're dealing especially with a, a building that has some sort of a security system in place and security check-ins and checkpoints, we can see where that, would, uh, be, that could become problematic. Uh, easier to have people uh, enjoy access to both buildings via the bridge. Um, and you also have situations where, okay, maybe we don't want people you know, having to cross the street, deal with traffic or mm-hmm. adverse environmental
5: conditions. Yeah, I was trying to think what would be the main factors motivating somebody to connect buildings via Skybridge uh, versus just having people, you know, enter and exit at the surface level like they normally would. And, yeah, th- those are some of the main things that came to mind for me. Bad weather and climate, that, that's that got to be a motivator, which is also true of places that have more underground tunnels connecting buildings together. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, also bad traffic and, like, thoroughfares that are hard to cross. So, for example, uh, this, this would also include places – uh, where the where the streets are not always streets where there's not ground on the streets, such as cities with canals. Sometimes yeah. you have sky bridges to cross those, and then of course, yeah, security concerns. Like if you have uh, I don't know high security government buildings or something, I imagine they they try to limit the necessity to go outside and enter a different door and do that whole thing all over again.
3: Yeah, so so obviously there are some 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 basic reasons why you might have a sky bridge connecting two buildings. Um, However, uh, the authors here also classify some skybridges as, as, quote, enclosed programmatic skybridges, meaning that there's something about them, something inside them to draw people to them beyond just mere conveyance. Uh, for example, the one example they give is the American Copper Buildings in New York City built in 2016, which feature a robust two-story sky bridge full of common rooms and swimming pools for residents. <laughs> it's a great place to go swimming. <laughs> I, yeah, it's 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 an interesting uh, choice. I mean, it looks like it has a tremendous view, though.
5: I would imagine, yeah, view and just sort of novelty. It has got to be one of the main points for these, uh, enclosed programmatic sky bridges, because again, they're not so common, uh, connecting American buildings and in, in American cities that you're just, uh, numb to them now. Like going a sky bridge is kind of interesting and unique unless, you know, you just happen to be one of the few people who, who lives or works in buildings where you cross one every day.
3: Yeah. Now, they also bring up a, f- a few additional expansions on the form. One is something they call the Sky Plane. And this is essentially a shared horizontal roof structure for two or more buildings. And the example they bring up is Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. Uh, Joe, you should probably just look up a picture of Marina Bay Sands and and just take this in. Because I would have to say, uh, I mean, I'm I'm no judge of of uh, architecture here but it looks almost a little bit ridiculous uh it's this <laughs> it looks like there is a ship uh perched atop three identical skyscrapers
5: yes it's a cruise ship there is mm-hmm. a cruise ship on the buildings yeah which
3: i mean i guess it, it looks really cool up there um it makes me a little bit queasy to look at some of these aerial shots of it for some reason but yeah it looks it looks very nice uh and I guess, and and certainly we can imagine, is so that we may come back to this one as we think about some um, arguments to be made for similar structures. They also bring up the idea of building as sky bridge. So this is when the horizontal bar of the sky bridge is so massive in comparison to the rest that it is more of a defining part of the building itself rather than something that bridges it, and this also is a is a statement one could make about like the nature of the sky bridge. one of the examples we'll come to in a, in a minute uh, the sky bridge is not really um, firmly set in place it's kind of setting in there, kind of slotted into place, whereas building a sky bridge it's like it's all one structure. Uh, The example they bring up is the CCTV headquarters in Beijing. This is a building I believe was built in 2011. And it looks basically like a really boxy, upside-down U. Uh, Very cool design. Mm
5: Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, characterize it as, it looks like it was built out of the, out of giant versions of the L-shaped Tetris blocks, and they're connecting above the ground, uh, way, you know, many, many stories up. Uh, but yeah, it's clear that this is not just a little hallway connecting the upper levels of a skyscraper. A substantial portion of the, the occupied part of the building is hanging over air. Yeah, yeah. And, and it also looks like it could walk. It looks yeah. like, like two legs
3: and uh, a pelvis, but, uh, but like they walked out of the Tron universe or something.
5: If you offend the master control program, this building comes walking at you. It probably does. It's, yeah.
3: <laughs> Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
5: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob.
2: Rappaport's reality, the reality a little of bit. us. We're a figuring little
1: bit. out. And <laughs> if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, it, would have been Ooh, a, it would have been the been podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: Now you might be wondering, well, what's the highest sky bridge in the world? Well, uh, I I believe if the Guinness Book of World Records is correct on this, it is the Patronus Towers in uh, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. This is a, uh, quote, a double-deck bridge at the 41st and 42nd floors. It's uh, 170 meters or 558 feet above the ground and measures 58 meters or 190 feet in length, weighs 750 metric tons. Uh, and this uh, building opened in
5: 1994. Uh, this one is is really cool looking. This is one of the ones I was talking about earlier, where it's essentially it's a connector between two towers that are the same building. Like it's all one complex, but the complex consists of like a you know a lower level thing and then two towers going straight up, and they're connected in the at the middle of their height by this sky bridge.
3: Yeah, this one's an interesting one to look at, too, because, well, first of all, like it's so high up. And at mm. the, the 40th floor, uh, you, you can imagine a good case being made. Like, what if you need to get to the next tower? Uh, you don't want to go down 40 floors and then up another 40 floors. What if you could just walk over? Um, and, of course, you can adjust the math based on what floor you're trying to get to in each tower.
5: And I think it's an area of the complex that has uh, increased foot traffic because there's sort of a sky lobby concept. like you go mm-hmm. halfway up the towers and there's uh, it, it's not just more you know regular office occupancy there there are I don't know lobbies and and, and things for people to hang out and walk around and do at that level.
3: Yeah, and apparently one whole floor of it is for is open to, to tourists and mm-hmm. is uh, you know part of this lobby concept. The other is apparently closed off and more for residents or businesses, what have you. Um, but it's it's neat that on top of this, uh, not only is it mere conveyance, uh, but also it adds at least a little bit of structural support, as well as a possible means of evacuating individuals from one tower into the other during an emergency. Uh, maybe not a primary function, but. Uh, but one that they've apparently looked into. Like, what if there was an emergency in one tower, but the other tower was still viable? Uh, That's one way you could help get people out. It's also interesting that this bridge is not directly connected to the buildings. It's designed so that it can shift or slide in and out of them to uh, to counterbalance building sway from the winds. Whoa. Uh, so that's, I mean, this is something that I always forget about skyscrapers and then I'm told about skyscrapers and it kind of wigs me out a little bit, the, the idea that, yes, they're not just purely stationary. They have a little give to them. There's a little bit of sway involved. And certainly if you have a bridge connecting two. Uh, skyscrapers, you have to take that into account. All right. So at this point, I thought we might get into some of the history of the skybridge. I mean, one of the things about uh, our our look at skybridges here is we're not going to be able to look at every step uh, in the process. We're not going to take you skybridge by skybridge through human history. But we thought it might be a good idea to hit on some key examples, some of which are more historical in nature, uh, and before we get into some of the you know, psychological aspects, uh, before we get into some of the uh, the futurist ideas that are tied up with sky bridges. And so a great place to start is to travel to Italy.
5: Surely. I, I think maybe we should start by taking a look at the Bridge of Sighs, or the Ponte uh, dei Sospiri in Italian. Um, you know, Suspiria, like Suspiria, like the movie, oh. size, the size. This
3: is a beautiful one, and this is one where if you, if you look it up, you'll instantly recognize it. You'll instantly find yourself longing to be in a gondola uh, with 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 your beloved or some imagined beloved, uh, perhaps with a, a glass of wine in hand. Very
5: ironically romantic. I'll I'll get to that. <laughs> so, the Bridge of Size is uh, is a really interesting landmark in Venice, uh, a city that already is already unusual in many of its thoroughfares because many of them are not streets but canals navigated by boat. And one of these canals, known as the Rio di Palazzo, is crossed over by a totally enclosed limestone bridge connecting two buildings on either side at the level of what looks like about the second story— It is covered with elaborate Baroque decorations, having been commissioned by the Doge Marino Grimani. And no, Doge is a word that had a meaning, uh, before, before internet memes. It has nothing to do with dogs. It was an office in medieval and Renaissance Italy. It was like, uh, it was kind of like being like a lord or some other Mm. kind of executive. So it was this Doge, Marino Grimani, who commissioned it. I think it came up in the early 17th century. Apparently, it is tradition for couples to kiss as they pass underneath the bridge in a boat, or I don't know if it's tradition. It's at least something a lot of people do. I think especially tourists, uh, and tourists are often taking pictures of themselves kissing with this bridge in the background. You can probably find plenty of those on the internet if you want. So what is the purpose of this hallway in the sky over the canal that's, that's causing people to 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 spontaneously break out in in kissing. Uh, You might wonder, well, you know, was it connecting two wings of a library or an art museum, maybe so people could move uh, uh, priceless antiques and books and artworks back and forth in the rain without getting wet or something like that. No, not at all. It was a bridge connecting the Doge's Palace and the Inquisitor's facilities within to the prison on the other side of the canal. (laughs) Uh, And so it's called the Bridge of Sighs because of the size of the doomed prisoners who walked within. Apparently, conditions in the prison were pretty nasty. So I've I've at least read the allegation that being confined there frequently resulted in death. So you would, you know, you would sigh uh, knowing your face was sealed as you were taken across the bridge of sighs into the jail well that's not romantic at all that's horrible and it makes me wonder, okay, then why in particular was this enclosed and not just, uh, not just an open bridge? It, I, don't, I don't know this, but I wonder if the reasoning had something to do with like preventing prisoners from trying to escape by jumping over the edge into the canal and getting away. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, also, like, I guess,
3: given the, the nature of the work going on there, maybe you don't want them seen by uh, anybody going by in a boat,
5: mm, uh, that yeah. sort
3: of thing. I also have to say, now that you re- reveal its true nature, I kind of see a skull in this design. I don't know if that's, I mean, granted, we tend to lean into uh, anthropomorphic <laughs> details of things anyway. But uh, now that I, I, I know it's, uh, its secrets, yeah, I kind of see these, uh, these teeth and two uh, eye sockets and, uh, and, and a nose socket there.
5: Well, I I can't find a a, a close up shot to look at right now though I I do think the bridge bears a certain um, family's coat of arms it might have been the family of the Doge or or someone else but uh, but possibly that coat of arms looks like a skull I don't know all right now another uh, interesting example from Italy
3: takes us to Florence and this is a 16th century example this is Vasari corridor uh, this was built in 1565 to allow uh, members of the powerful uh, Medici family to move freely between their residence and the governmental center there in Florence. Mm. So it's certainly an elevated enclosed passageway, uh, reaching uh, full full length, I believe it's an entire kilometer in length. Uh, There's at least one section of it that is instantly identifiable as a sky bridge. Uh, Like, there's a street below it, that sort of thing. But in other cases, there are buildings or businesses beneath uh, Vasari Corridor. It it literally just cuts through the city, uh, built over. Like, in one case, it's apparently built over what was some riverside butcher shops because, you know, you want to dump all of that, uh, the leftovers directly into the river. But that smelled too bad. And so with a little uh, Medici um, uh, finagling, uh, they got some jewelers in there as well. Uh, there 's also a tower that it goes around because there was one stubborn Florentine who would not sell, and so they had to to, to, to make the, the their corridor go around this particular tower and there 's even a place where it basically it basically cuts through the Church of Santa Felicita opening up onto the balcony uh, into a balcony there so that the Medici could take their corridor, attend mass, and I guess keep on going. Uh, all the way, enjoying a kind of privileged view of the city in places uh, you know they get to walk uh, from point A to point B in Florence without having to worry about their uh, their enemies trying to murder them <laughs> uh, and uh, over the over time, portions of the quarter have been uh, been altered, destroyed, uh, rebuilt, and uh, I believe it was closed for a
5: while and is once more open to tourists visiting the city. You know, what I've always wanted is the ability to wake up, go to mass without ever stepping foot outside. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, it's such a, a power flex, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, and it's definitely one to keep in mind when we talk about other examples and modern examples of, of sky bridges and similar structures. It would be kind of like if you didn't want to leave your bedroom to go to work and you didn't have uh, teleworking uh, uh, technology, you could say, what if I were just to physically extend my bedroom across town <laughs> uh-huh. to the office? Uh, how about that? And that, I mean, that's essentially what, <laughs> what the Medici did here.
5: Though, to some degree, I think what we're thinking of as a skybridge really has more to do with... Um, with just external appearance and like what is the stuff underneath it and how high is it and and mm-hmm. things like that more so than, than function because there are other things that don't quite look exactly like a sky bridge, but they clearly serve the same function. I know there's like a, a long, uh, pa- elevated passageway, uh, in Rome connecting Vatican city to some, uh, uh i don't i don't some chapel or palace or something there and you can see it in pictures of the city though i think a lot of it is uncovered so it doesn't read exactly like a uh, mm-hmm. You know, like a tunnel in the sky that's fully enclosed all around. It's more like there's just sort of this elevated bridge going over the rooftops or over parts of the city.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, to to what extent do these examples feel like a bridge? Do they have this this feeling of being above things, or or or, or having some sort of a privileged passage through things? Uh, f- for instance, we mentioned uh, cold cities or cities that have cold winters. Um, the Chicago Pedway is a strong example of a system like this. Parts of it are elevated, but then also parts of it are, are completely underground so that you know you don't have to go out into the elements during the winter to move from one place to another downtown necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. On my visit to Chicago, I wanted to go down in there and see it, um, though it was, it was very pleasant outside, so we didn't have to go down there. Uh, but I, I was reading some accounts of people who— of course, really like it. Some who think that parts of it needs some work. Uh, mm. I think some people think it
5: is a bit dank uh, and perhaps needs a, a facelift of some sort. Well, that opens up a theme that I'm definitely going to get to at some point, maybe maybe later in this episode or maybe in the next one. But that uh, when it comes to designing urban spaces, in many ways, I think uh, form can be about as important as function. Like, it doesn't just matter are these spaces traversable and do they get you where you're going, but like there are pretty profound effects on our psychological well being depending on the various aesthetic qualities of these thoroughfares and, and tunnels and traversal spaces, and and it makes a difference in our lives what these spaces are like absolutely if, you, if you're spending your life walking around in like just dank concrete with no you know no plants and no natural light and stuff that that does affect people
3: or it's also like having super reinforced, uh, transparent flooring in your sky bridge. I mean, that's yeah. fine for, for yeah. tourist scenarios, uh, but if you're if you're using this sky bridge just as a, a daily way of connecting, say, from uh, from your office to the the coffee machine mm-hmm. um, in the other building, you don't necessarily want it to be a harrowing journey through the sky. Yeah, or at least not to get the coffee. Maybe on the way back, that would be impactful. <laughs>
5: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob.
4: I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic.
0: Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening?
1: It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex.
4: But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. From iHeart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Now, if you look around at various articles about sky bridges, uh, particularly, like, even if you go to the, uh, the, the wiki page for sky bridges, you'll see some images of some examples. And there's a picture that cir- has that circulated a lot. This is a model uh, that was found in an eastern Han tomb in Henan province in China. And this is quite, uh, it's, it's quite interesting to look at. It is clearly a multi-story building connected by an enclosed sky bridge to another shorter um tower or multi-story building and it's, it's pretty cool to look at again this is, uh, this, is this is quite old uh however I, I wasn't able to find anything to indicate that this is a model of something that was ever built in reality uh perhaps it was uh or perhaps this was just a, a model that that again went into a tomb uh, but i was able to look around uh and i found found some interesting things about Sky bridges and things like sky bridges uh, that, were, that were actually constructed uh, in various uh, Chinese palace uh, complexes and gardens. So I was looking at um, the philosophical encounter embodied by Zhuang Ming by Wan Hoi Zhou, published in Environmental Philosophy, Volume 7, Number 1. This came out in spring of 2010. So uh, the Wanmingyuan, Yuan, or the Summer Old Summer Palace in Beijing, was a complex of elaborate gardens and palaces of the Qing dynasty built in the 18th and early 19th centuries. In 1860, during the Opium War, it was looted and destroyed by British uh, and French forces. But according to Zhou here, the original gardens consisted of three Chinese gardens and a Western-style garden that had been designed by Jesuits. The Chinese gardens were laid out with Taoist cosmology and feng shui in mind uh, so that that one stroll through these gardens was said to to be one of of contemplative depths. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't just uh, you weren't just putting everything out of your mind as you strolled here. You got to contemplate the Tao.
5: Oh, do images of these gardens remain? I would be really interested to see the difference between that and the Jesuit garden. You can. There there are schematics of what it looked like, and
3: uh, and uh, the the ruins still exist. I believe I was looking at some photographs of this, Mm -hmm. and it's still a site
5: that I believe can be can be visited, but probably not with all the vegetation in the original place. I don't think
3: so. I didn't find in. There there may be some really robust recreations of what these would have looked like, but I was. I didn't. They didn't come up in my research. Mm. But if anyone out there has seen such an image, I would love to to look at it. So, in in talking about this particular park, um, Zhou turns to some other examples. Uh, Zhou shares that the, the Shenglin Park of the Emperor Qin Shi Huang of the 3rd century BC Qin Dynasty featured... Uh, was said to feature covered double floor passageways that allowed the emperor to move from one grand palace to another, quote, through the wilderness, and in doing so, quote, act mysteriously to avoid devils and meanwhile embrace virtuous individuals. Whoa,
5: <laughs> wait. So the, the the skyways here were alleged to be so this emperor could uh, like, keep his movement secret, sort of? Is that—am I understanding that right? Yeah, if I'm—well, so first of all, the, these wouldn't have been
3: skyways, per se. I think these were maybe situated on the ground. Oh, uh, okay. But, yes, they, they would have been enclosed so that— Nobody could necessarily see him moving around. He is an important guy, after all. Mm. But also, he could avoid devils and embrace virtuous individuals, which, uh, you know, we can certainly lean into the supernatural interpretation of that. But also, it sounds like not run into people who I don't want to greet, don't run into people who wish me harm, and also, uh, you know, only encounter people who are are worthwhile for me, the emperor, to run into. Mm. But uh, then Zhou turns to an example that I think we can properly think of as a skywalk. He says quote, In the imperial Hualin Garden in the capital of Luoyang of Northern Wei, this is the fifth century, there was an island named Pinglei on which buildings were connected by a rainbow skywalk. Where walking was like flying to and fro. Visitors moved about in this garden like celestial birds, up and down in a divine residence.
5: Okay, so when they moved about and it was like flying to and fro, does that just mean that they're crossing about in the air they're they're high up and they can see all around, or is there more significance like
3: <laughs> I think um, it's just a poetic way of saying that yeah the, the being the moving from one building to another via mm-hmm. a bridge uh that it it creates this feeling of flying, yeah, yeah. I don't think they were on zip lines or anything. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, I guess know, that's what I was like wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nor were they dressed like birds, but, um, but there's, there's something, um, you know, almost supernatural about the experience of using, using these elevated walkways. Yes, so, and it gets a little more interesting when you look at, at some of the details here. So, Luoyang is certainly a real place and it's one of the oldest cities in China, which is certainly saying something, but uh, Ping Lei is also the name of a mythical island. And in fact, Ping Lei is said to be where the elixir of life and the eight immortals may be found. Uh, and uh, the connection here is of course, that gardens of this sort are meant to be quote unquote, fairy lands. And in fact, Ping Lei can be translated as fairy land. Uh, so, these are places of supernatural beauty that that invoke different models of reality, or in the earlier example they you know you 're contemplating the Tao as you walk through it um, and it 's mentioned by Zhou that tall buildings as well were thought to invite the spirits to reside in them. Uh, so, mm. it's it's neat to think, of, like, I feel like these descriptions uh, that, that he's discussing here, like, they really draw in things that are certainly unique to, like, the, the poetic Chinese interpretation, it seems, of these structures. But I think also they, they get at our universal attraction to these things. Like, again, there's something about the skyscraper. There is something about... No, not only the the sky bridge, but bridge the bridges themselves that invite us to them. you know, if you're in a little
5: park and there are bridges, you got to walk across that bridge, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. I, I feel the same way. I'm always attracted to to bridges and um, and spaces that are not uh, just normally readily uh, accessible. like you know if if I see an island in the middle of the pond, I, I do want to go to it. I want to stand there. yeah. Uh, but and of, of course, the same applies to locations high up. And this is something that I think is a a pervasive strain of thought in the ancient world, I guess, or maybe even um, not just the ancient world, but I'd say the pre-industrial world, the world before skyscrapers became common in city centers everywhere, uh, where, you know, you just have like secular urban density driving driving occupancy higher and higher in the pre-industrial period. I think there was a pervasive association between physical altitude and like, uh, I don't know the spiritual elevation or holiness or the gods. I mean, I think about, uh, how many different types of like tower type structures are associated with either royalty or divinity going all mm-hmm. back, all the way back to like, you know, the ziggurats of ancient Mesopotamia, uh, where you know it was literally believed that in some sense the God resides on the top or the God at least will come down to the top in some cases uh, and and royal towers, royal palaces with you know things reaching high up in the air that that that's I think we're still impressed by tall buildings now, but I think it's lost some of the the magical oomph that it once had in human minds.
3: Still, the the would be demigods of today, like where do they want their offices? Where do they want their uh, their apartments? They want they want to be at the top, right? Yeah, we're still drawn to that. Uh, Speaking of really tall buildings, uh, one more note about uh, Liu Yang here is that uh, between five sixteen and five thirty four C E, it contained the uh, the the Yongning Pagoda, which at an estimated nine stories in height, and I think there's some back and forth about exactly how tall it was, uh, but at roughly nine stories in height, this was one of, if not the tallest buildings in the world at the time, uh, according to the, the source I was looking at here. Uh, it was destroyed by a lightning strike, which uh, then burned it to the ground. Now, I have not had the benefit of visiting any of these sites that, uh, that I've, I've mentioned here. So certainly, if anyone out there listening to the show has, and certainly if you have photographs, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to hear from you. So certainly uh, write in. Uh, and of course, that goes that goes to uh, we can say the same regarding any of the sky bridges we're we're discussing uh, in this episode or any that we we don't mention. Yes, send in your sky bridge experiences and photographs uh, so that we may enjoy them as well. So that's it for this episode, but we will be back with a part two on this. We have much more to discuss regarding Sky Bridges, uh, but certainly go ahead and write in. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, as always, core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, publishing the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Monday, we do Listener Mail. On Wednesday, we do a short form Artifact or Monster Fact. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's
5: our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.
2: Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app.